baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, as always, and this an exciting week that Braves fans have been waiting for all season long, and it finally was punctuated on Friday night at SunTrust Park as the Braves became champions of the National League East for the second consecutive year, beating the Giants 6 to nothing to claim the division crown. We've got a lot to talk about on this episode of From the Diamond. We'll, of course, cover that big night for the Braves, but we'll also set our sights on what comes next. That, of course, a trip through October as the Braves get set to make some very interesting decisions with their roster, getting ready for the postseason, and whoever awaits them in the National League Division Series. To help me do that, I've got my buddy Corey McCartney from Fox Sports South. He'll check in and join me to talk about the Braves' roster construction for the postseason. Before we get to that, though, I want to invite you, as always, to subscribe to From the Diamond. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated as we roll through October. Going to have a lot of fun conversations, so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Also, be following along on social media. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter as well. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is on Instagram at From the Diamond, no underscore. And I am still at Grant McCauley on Instagram. Had a lot of fun as the Braves celebrated their division title on Friday night. A lot of cool pictures, so I invite you to follow along there and across all of social media, wherever your chosen podcast provider is and whatever social media platform you enjoy the most. Just jump on and follow From the Diamond and at Grant McCauley for all your Braves updates there. And, of course, you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. That is where you can be plugged in to find everything. With all that out of the way, let's get into the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, or at least the night that was on Friday night. Braves unable to clinch this thing against the Phillies during the week, but that did not stop them from Friday night and getting this thing done against the San Francisco Giants. No bigger story in Braves country than what the Braves accomplished at SunTrust Park, clinching the NLEs for the second consecutive year. And for the Braves, it's the first time since the streak of 14 straight division titles came to an end way back in 2005 that Atlanta has been division champions in consecutive seasons. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Brian McCann came up big with home runs, but Mike fulton owned the night on the mound. Eight innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. fulton picked up the win, and he has been everything and then some for the Braves since coming back from AAA Gwinnett. Fulte has posted a 2.35 ERA in his nine starts since coming back. Atlanta has won all nine of those games. Mike is 4-0 in September. His ERA, a very nice 0.69 this month. And for the second straight year, Fulte was the man on the mound for the Braves in the clinching game. What a great way to punctuate a season within a season for Mike Fultonevich, who should be in line for a postseason spot in rotation. There's so much to talk about for what the Braves are going to be turning their attention to 
They've got a few things to concentrate on in the final seven games of the regular season. Ronald Acuna's quest for 40-40 needs three more stolen bases. The Braves, though, four and a half games behind the Dodgers heading into the weekend as far as best record overall in the National League. But a 95-win season already for the Braves and the division round. They'll be looking at the winner of the National League Central as things stand right now. And we're awaiting to find out if it's going to be the Cardinals, the Cubs, or the Brewers over this final week. A lot of intrigue happening in that particular division race. But as for what the Braves are going to be concentrating on over the next week or so, it's going to be getting everyone as healthy as they possibly can and making decisions on what 25 players will make that postseason roster. To help me size up some of those decisions, I want to welcome in a friend of mine, Corey McCartney of Fox Sports South. You can follow him on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. And you can follow everything that Corey and Zach and the whole team over at Fox Sports South are doing as far as their fantastic Braves coverage at Fox Sports Braves. And, of course, I invite you to check out one of the best Braves podcasts out there, maybe one of the OG Braves podcasts, if you want to call it that. That, of course, would be the Chopcast, which you can find across all the great podcast providers out there. Make sure you're subscribed to the Chopcast. It is one of the very best. And with all of that said, I want to invite in Corey because we've got a really intriguing topic to talk about. That, of course, would be what exactly the Braves are going to be doing with this postseason roster. I thought we were talking about the Wednesday Night Wars. No, no, we're not going to get into that just yet. But maybe in the off season, in addition right. to a hot stove podcast, we can jump into maybe the new and most exciting sports entertainment podcast that you haven't heard of yet. We'll work on that. That's right. We'll make it happen. All right. Well, as far as the wars that are concerned for the Braves, it's really roster space wars, I guess you could call it if you want to. And let's start with the starting rotation because for a while, it really felt like, at least for me, that I knew the three guys that were going to start games for the Braves. If you'd asked me a month ago, two months ago, it was going to be Dallas Keuchel, Mike Soroka, and Max Freed. Now, if you ask me over the last month or so, I feel like, and really to no fault of Freed on the whole for the season he's had, but Mike fulton has really kind of pushed his name into serious consideration there. And Corey, I'm kind of interested to hear your opinion on this because I look at it, Keuchel, he's a known commodity. Soroka, he's been doing it every five days all season long, but with Fulte, as opposed to maybe Freed right now, I feel like you kind of have to ride the hot hand, don't you? You know, I agree with that. I mean, you look over the last starts from him, the last six starts from him, you got a one eight three ERA. That mm-hmm. slider's finally got that bite that we were used to seeing during his All Star season last year. Opponents have a six hundred OPS against him, so it, to me, it's a little bit about the matchup, right? I mean, if you're going against a Cardinals team that doesn't particularly hit right-handers well, he makes more sense. Yeah than free does but certainly if things go awry for Fulte or if you end up somehow starting Tehran to have Freed as that backup guy that you know can come in and play that long relief role and we know how good this stuff was in the postseason last year against the Dodgers I think it could be really an interesting dynamic yeah. there but yeah it's, it's hard to argue with Mike Fultonevich getting a start at this point and look I mean this is a guy that they expected to take that step this season it, it took a long time for him to get to this point uh, I think him getting a postseason start would almost be apropos considering what was expected of him in 2019. Yeah, no doubt about it. When you come into the season looking at Mike Fultonevich coming off an all-star campaign, 200 strikeouts, just a tremendous year in 2018, his breakout season, one of the top 10 starting pitchers in the National League as far as numbers were concerned over the regular season last year, and then to find himself dealing with the elbow injury and then kind of trying to, I don't know if it's recreate himself, but to rediscover at least, as you mentioned, the slider, which was a pitch that had kind of 
gone south on him and really just trying to refine his command again and maybe just trust himself physically, trust that that elbow is going to be fine as he went out there every fifth day. But, you know, the pitcher win is what it is. It's a very imperfect stat. It kind of tells you maybe what went on, but it does not give you the full story. But with Fulty out there, I feel like every fifth day, the Braves have to be feeling really good about what they're seeing in terms of the consistency that he is now bringing since coming back from Gwinnett with the Arsenal seemingly back more in line with what we saw a year ago. And it's all about trends, right? I mean, as you mentioned, he's trending in the right direction at the right time of the year. And meanwhile, when we talk about Max Free, mm-hmm. the last five starts from him, he's got a 6-3-9 ERA. He's allowed five earned runs in three of those starts. And you start to wonder, we knew that innings were going to have to be a topic of conversation, even if they didn't want to have those conversations in terms of him and Mike Soroka. And I don't want to say that the seams are showing in terms of Freed, but that is concerning, right? I mean, when you yeah. talk about this time of the year, they've allowed that many earned runs. Uh, when you're looking at this guy, you know, as potential postseason starter for you. So trends matter. And, you know, the fact that Fulty's on this run, and not just the run personally, but the run of team success behind him. It, I, we could go forever about the concept of pitcher wins and where that ranks in terms of reality in baseball nowadays. But to put your team in a position to win, is certainly a justifiable thing. And one of the flip sides of this choice the Braves have to make is whether it's Fultonevich or Freed that gets that third spot in the rotation. And again, we're talking about a five-game series, and we'll get to some of the other ins and outs and mix-and-match stuff that you have when it comes to the bullpen. But kind of transitioning into that is the fact that I feel like, and this is just kind of where I'm looking at it, long-term, of course, I'm looking at Max Freed as a starting pitcher. But in short bursts and a series like that for a bullpen that doesn't really have a dynamic left-hander, Max Freed could really add an awful lot and kind of be that guy that if you needed him to cover, you know, two, three, four innings if something went wrong for one of the other starters, that's the kind of weapon I think you'd like to have in terms of maybe just being almost a swingman of sorts to kind of do what you need done on that particular matchup, that particular at-bat, or maybe that particular day if something doesn't go right for somebody else. I think that's true, and same thing with Newcomb, right? I mean, so they're not the same guy, but they both have those capabilities. Um, you know, Blevins could eat up some innings potentially if you're if you're needing mm-hmm. him to. Uh, Newcomb could be that guy, though. I think not that far off from Freed, but I think there's just a difference to, to Freed if you can show if you use him in a short burst like that. We saw it against the Dodgers last year, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it clearly feels like in a five game series, the right move right now is Dallas Keuchel, Mike Schroeder, and Mike Fultonovich. Well, as we look at the bullpen, and Max Freed could certainly be a factor there. I mean, Fultonevich could be a factor there if he does not get a starting assignment. But then you get to Julio Tehran, who's a guy that more times than not this year has certainly given the Braves a chance to win. He's had some ups and some downs, but I'd say, and I've said all year long, far more good than bad from uh, Julio. But I think we've learned as you watch this guy pitch, he does have a propensity for dealing with a lot of base runners. I mean, he's leading the league in walks. He's leading the league in hit batsmen. But opponents are hitting 226 against him if you're curious that's the lowest mark by any brave starting pitcher in terms of opponents batting average and then you start looking at fielding independent pitching and how the peripherals line up with what exactly it is that julio has done every fifth day for the braves he's been a consistent kind of glue in this rotation as he has done what you needed every fifth day he's made those turns he's done it seven years in a row now as far as 30 starts is concerned but to me julio really strikes you as a guy that may or may not really have a role in a five-game series just based upon the fact that you don't need your full complement of starters. And I don't necessarily know if he's a guy that 
you put in the bullpen and ask to do something that, say, Josh Tomlin has done all year long? Wouldn't it just make a lot of sense to have Josh Tomlin continue to serve in the role that he has? Well, it, it, let's say they're facing the Cardinals, right? And at the time of this recording, I mean, that's the team that they seem to be on a, on a track to yeah. be facing in the NLDS. He's faced them twice and he has an 0-9-0 ERA against them in 10 innings. Yeah. So does that matter? I mean, does the matchup itself and success against that team already this season matter in putting together this rotation and the bullpen? Or is it simply a matter of the hot hands at the moment? I think that's an interesting dynamic because, yeah, Tomlin has filled that role, but is Tomlin in that role more valuable to you than Tehran, knowing that he has an 0-9-0 ERA against the Cardinals that you're going to face him? Good it's, question. I mean, he has walked a lot of guys. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. But it feels like we kind of have these discounting Julio conversations a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the best ERA plus he's had in his career. The peripheral numbers are, I think, where you kind of get – a little bit deeper into it and realize, okay, he's playing well above. He's out kicking his coverage in terms of Mm -hmm. those first glance numbers. But it just feels like we just are, we're always writing off Tehran. And it's just, to me, I think it really comes down to, okay, well, who would you start him over? Who would you put him in over? I'm putting him in over Tomlin. If you're just asking me for a guy that can eat up innings and, and potentially, you know, put a team on its heels. Here's the thing I look at when I compare the two of them. And again, it, this is an apples and oranges comparison. I mean, Josh Tomlin is kind of a journeyman starting pitcher who transitioned into the bullpen and for the most part this year has given the Braves any and everything they could have asked out of somebody who he's kind of been an unheralded member of a bullpen that has been reconstructed what feels like at least once, if not one and a half times throughout the year. Tomlin, to me, though, the one thing I look at that you get into these kind of runs with Julio where he just doesn't command the ball well and walks in the postseason just doesn't feel like the thing you want coming out of the bullpen. Tomlin doesn't walk anybody, basically, is I guess the way I look at it. And if I'm asking for an inning or two, and clearly not a high leverage situation either, we might as well throw that out there. I mean, I don't think either of those guys would be pitching at high leverage, do you? No. I mean, look, when did we see Julio last year when the series was over with, right? You know, and and there was talk that if they had played the Rockies, he probably would have gotten a start because, again, match up and it made a little bit more sense for him. But, yeah, I mean, maybe we don't see Julio in high leverage situations, but he still has the ability. Let's say Fulte blows up. Let's say we have you, you get Fulte out there and he's gone in three innings. I mean, at least... Julio would give you someone who could bridge that gap if you don't want to completely tax your bullpen. Freed is probably the guy that I would go to in that situation. And this is where it becomes really fascinating because you can just kind of keep flipping this coin around or just spinning it around on the table, if you will. And it's going to land on one side or the other in terms of who's going to get the starts. I mean, Keichel and Soroka, then either Freed or Fultonevich, and maybe the other guy becomes that guy that's your insurance policy if something goes sideways for somebody else. So that, I think, is kind of the part where I don't know if Julio, to your point, is going to be able to jump three or four other guys and be in position to make a start. But you mentioned, and I'm sure Alex Antopoulos and his crew is well aware of it, when there's matchup data available and there's success, maybe you make that case. And with Julio, he's 28 years old, which is insane because it feels like he's been around for a decade. But like I said earlier, I mean, seven consecutive years of 30-plus starts, I mean, we can quibble about what happens every fifth day, but for the most part, Julio has answered the bell. But results notwithstanding, I just don't know if the maybe the confidence is there with that matchup 
over just going with your best available pitcher that has been pitching the best either over the course of the season or in that run lately. If you have a choice between Julio Tehran against the Cardinals and Mike fulton against the Cardinals, which way do you go? You know, Fulte has obviously the more dynamic stuff. Right. And look, I mean, there's a subplot with Julio, right? He has a $12 million team option that he does. on the books next year. I think they're going to pick it up. But if he doesn't start last year in the postseason and he doesn't start this year in the postseason and you've got all these young arms, is the writing on the wall? It's felt like it I was mean, for about three years, though, hasn't it? I mean, like you said, we I don't want to say we've written him off, but you've looked at it and said, okay, it's a performance-based business, and is this going to be worth the money and the roster spot given the other talent that's behind him? And I think he's kind of answered some of those questions this year, but it's still a question that you end up having to ask. But what more do we want to see from him? We've seen seven consecutive years of 30 starts. We've seen him – this is a, one of the most durable guys – in baseball, I think the, since his first full season, there's only three or four guys who have pitched more innings than him. Right. Just a couple guys who have had more starts than him. I almost wonder if he didn't have the prospect ranking that he came in with, would we have the same view of Julio Tehran? You know, if this was Luis Gohara, right, and this was a guy that you got in a deal and he was like a, one of your mid-upper pitching prospects and he made seven consecutive years of 30-plus starts. Yeah and he had a $12 million option in the year for next year, it would seem undeniable to pick it up, as opposed to a guy that was the top pitching prospect in baseball at one point, and he's never taken that leap into ace status. And that's undeniable when you look at it. I posted a tweet a couple of days ago looking at his fielding independent pitching, which, again, is just one metric that you can look at, and how it's lined up with his just standard ERA. And the differential for the first three years was about half a run. That's pretty normal. But if you look at the last four years, then it starts to trend up to almost a run, over a run, and then this year he is well out in front of what his fielding independent pitching would tell you that you should be expecting. It's almost like he's outperformed this stuff for so long that it's just kind of who he is. But when you watch him pitch, do you ever get that sense of just a a nice, calm day at the ballpark? Or do you always wonder about, here's a back foot slider that hits this guy in the back foot. Here's a walk. And then somebody running into a three-run homer. It really just feels like that's kind of the stuff that has gone awry for Julio, maybe to no fault of his own because it's just the way that he pitches. And I don't know. I mean, and we don't have to spend the rest of the day talking about it, obviously. But he's a fascinating enigma, if you will, in the midst of all of the Braves pitching plans. And he's been that way for a while. Since 2013 and that almost no-hitter against the Pirates, that to me I think is we're going to look back at it. That was Pete Coolio. Right. That was it. And Pete Coolio during it. his rookie year. That's uh, it's, yeah. it, There's a lot yeah. to say about that. But And he was right there with Jose Fernandez in the rookie of the year race for a while. And he is fascinating. And it's funny, with Zach Dillard and I will spend a ton of time talking about him on Chopcast. Yep. It's like Mike Soroka is the hunt for the ERA title. He's an all-star. He should be in the, the Cy Young conversation. Keiko won a Cy Young. This guy was probably going to start game one of the NLDS. And we spent a ton of time talking about this enigma that has made five consecutive opening day starts. Yeah, it's crazy the way it turns out. But for Julio Tehran, what his role will be, we'll find out. It could be one of those things where he's been with the club long enough. He's got that tenure. And out of respect, he may just have a spot. And this may be a whole lot, much ado about nothing, as they say. But looking down that bullpen, Mark Melanson, Shane Green, Chris Martin have all, I think, been as advertised after perhaps a slow start, especially for Green. But that three, Luke Jackson, Sean Newcomb, 
And then I think the questions become what other guys are going to carve out spots. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I am curious. Where do you think Darren O'Day fits in? Because I don't think a lot of us expected Darren O'Day to even make it back when he missed so much of the season. But he has been back for a couple of weeks. It looks like he's ramping up. He's got an incredible resume when you talk about successful relievers in the American League. He had a nice five-year run with the Baltimore Orioles that was derailed by injuries. Do you think Darren O'Day has, A, shown enough, or B, will have enough time to show enough to jump onto this postseason roster, or is this just a, maybe a little bit too late? I think it might be a little bit too late, and I do wonder. I think a lot of it boils down to how many how many arms are they going to carry in this bullpen, right? right? Because the fact that you don't have Culberson, you probably won't have Camargo, you may or may not have Andrew and Ciarte kind of forces your hand in a couple areas in terms of infielders and outfielders. So do they carry seven? Do they carry eight relievers? I mean, I think if, if they carry seven and you know Melanson, Green, Martin, Newcomb, and Jackson are going to take up five of those spots and we're talking about a potential swing guy coming from a rotation spot down in either Tehran or Freed, that leaves you one guy. And is that Darren O'Day? And, and certainly – Blevins has been great. You need another left-hander in that mix. Especially a loogie like I just, that. Yeah, I just don't know if there's if there's room for Darren O'Day. And it, I think it might be too late for him to make that case unless you I, – I, again, I just I, I go back to the – in my piecing together of this, bolt, of this uh, postseason roster, a lot of it has had to be reconfigured without Camargo and, and, and Culberson in the mix. Yeah. And you have to, to you have to make up versatility and depth other places, and keeping Darren O'Day around may not be the right play in that bullpen. Well, the count that I look at just from putting together a postseason roster, just so I could visualize what kind of decisions are going to have to be made, I would imagine they're going to carry twelve pitchers. They could carry thirteen if they only carry two catchers, but I would imagine there'd be the twelve. So if you have Keiko, Soroka, Freed, and Fultonevich in. That's four right there, regardless of which one of them might slide to the bullpen. Um, then you've got Melanson, Green, Martin, and Jackson. That's another four right there. That makes eight. If you're carrying 12, you've got four more spots. And like you said, Sean Newcomb, Jerry Blevins, Josh Tomlin, Darren O'Day, that would be four. If you want to swap one of those out and put Julio Tehran in, perhaps that's the way you look at it, just to get to 12. That would allow them to carry three catchers, which is the next thing I wanted to transition into do you think that's the way they're going to go? Because I certainly do. If Francisco Cervelli is healthy, I certainly feel like that's a, a route that the Braves kind of owe themselves because it would allow for them to have a little bit more maneuverability on the bench for Brian Snitker to use a late-inning pinch-running weapon like a Billy Hamilton. I actually have 11 pitchers, so I guess I'm making up for the fact that I think they're going to have to sure. They're going to have to carry a little bit more in terms of the the infield options that they have uh, because of of, uh, of injury there. But I do think they're going to carry three three catchers, and, and certainly to have you know the option to use you know who's not starting between Flowers and and McCann off the benches that pinch hitter, and you have to have that emergency guy back there. We know Brian Snicker loves that uh, breaking in case of glass catcher. Yeah, um, Charlie Culberson was an emergency catcher for them, and that would have maybe allowed a little bit more flexibility if you got into something, you know, a strange situation. Uh, but we know they carried Rene Rivera last year, so mm-hmm. I would think if you're going to carry Rene Rivera, who never saw the field, and you have Francisco Cervelli, uh, who has been valuable for you at, at times, I, I think it would make a ton of sense for them to carry three catchers. Yeah, I think the only way that Cervelli does not end up on the roster, at least from, from where I'm sitting, which is not making the official roster, but 
is if he's just not healthy, can't run, if that lacerated finger was an issue, which clearly I don't think that is an issue anymore if he's taken BP and actually been able to get into game action as well before that Philly series was over. So that's good to see in that regard. So McCann, Flowers, and Cervelli makes three more spots, which would then, again, and this is just in mind, if they're carrying 12 pitchers, let's say, uh, you got five infielders and five outfielders. Now, you mentioned this earlier, and of course Braves fans are well aware of this, losing your two utility players pretty much in the span of, what, 72 hours as Johan Camargo's dealing with a fractured shin. They put him on the 10-day IL as opposed to the 60, which leaves the possibility of him being activated and able to come back and play. But physically speaking, that's a huge question mark. Charlie Culberson, unfortunately, is not as much of a question mark because of the nature of the injury that he sustained, the fractured cheekbone. I mean, that's just something that he's not going to be able to come back from in this amount of time, and it's a shame to see. But for the Braves, it's also a shame when you're trying to make up a versatile roster because your two most versatile players were just lost to you quite possibly in the case of Camargo as well as Culberson. I'm looking at five infielders, Freddie Freeman, Josh Donaldson, Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson, and Adani Echevarria, with Austin Riley being your guy that backs up at third or first in case something happens that's a little bit strange there. Yes, and that's... What else do you do? I mean, Austin, really. Riley has some, Austin Riley has suddenly become the most versatile player on this roster, which I think is, is funny in its own right to say, but you, you can use him at third, you can use him at first, you can use him in a, in a corner outfield mm-hmm. spot uh, if need be. So, yeah, um, uh, Hensenberia and Riley, um, you, you hate to say who benefits uh, from Culberson and Camargo's absences, but those two clearly do. And what would they do if they didn't have Hensenberia right That's now? That's a great question. I mean, they would be. Who in the world would be backing up those middle infield spots? Pedro Florimond looks like he might be the guy, uh, and he sat all year in AAA Gwinnett as just organizational depth. But maybe that's what you're doing. If Dansby Swanson know. had not ended up on the injured list, and the Braves hadn't needed to go out and get Echeverria, and then lost Camargo and Culberson, you're right. The Braves would be in a really serious bind with just not having somebody with a lot of major league experience and/or somebody that you're confident in the ability that they have when they go out there. Yeah, things things broke their way to ha- to have that kind of depth. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, Riley, Riley and, and Hetchavaria feel, and those are absolute locks at this stand at this so, point. Hetchavaria can play short, obviously. He can also play second base. He can play third base. So that's three infield spots. Riley can account for both corners yep. there and both corners in the outfield. So it is versatility. It's just not what you thought you were going to have. When I look into the outfield and, and throw Riley into that mix as well, four other guys that I think would make the postseason roster pretty much no brainers: Ronald Acuna Jr. Nick Markakis, Matt Joyce, and then Billy Hamilton for me because I'm still very curious as to whether or not is just is Ender Enciarte's hamstring healthy enough for him to play, but how is he going to play coming off a lengthy layoff and not having any opportunity to go out anywhere and get at bats or rehab or come back? It would be throwing him right into a situation where you've already got Billy Hamilton warm, and Billy Hamilton really is a difference maker on the base paths and a standout center fielder in his own right, that's an interesting question right there. And it may just really come down to what is the health status of Ender Enciarte? Yeah, and, and I mean, if you don't have Enciarte, you don't have anyone else on that roster who has played center field. Right. And you have no one to back up Ronald Cunha Jr. I do wonder, though, I mean, does, does, is Adam Duvall an option here? Because if you're looking at your guys who hit lefties best, that's mm-hmm. Duvall, Riley, Acuna, Joyce has been over 20% above the average against lefties this season. Duvall plays, uh, you know, a very strong defense, obviously a gold glove finalist last year, but he doesn't have that center field 
Right. And, he's, and the guy can move. I mean, we've seen and this is not this is not a, a slow guy at, not all. at all. He can he can he can be that pinch runner for you, and provides a little bit more in terms of the bat off the bench than Hamilton does. But again, you just don't have that insurance policy at center field, so it may ultimately be uh, you know a, a matter of Hamilton getting the nod. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. I mean, Acuna, Marquez, Joyce. I think Hamilton gets in. But I think there's a little bit more of a conversation there with the ball because he does provide a little bit more. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question is because you can map out the 25 that you think it's going to be, but then you almost have to sit there and think, okay, well, if there is a 25th man debate and it's not, well, the health of Camargo or the health of Enciarte, is it, to your point, I guess, you had 11 pitchers on the the roster that you were constructing and looking at. I would assume that Duvall, did he make the cut as far as what you were looking for for the 25 guys? I would like to put. I would like to have Duvall and Hamilton. Sure. I, I would because I think if you're going to have an infield where you know you necessarily Hetchveria, you know you, you have to hold on to Hetchveria in a late game situation in case something happens with one of those middle infield guys. Mm-hmm. So you may not want to use him in a pinch hitting role. He may almost be again in case of emergency break glass, yeah. but I can, but then you can use Duvall off the bench in a pitch hitting role if you want to, and still have, you know, that a little bit more depth in that way. So I, I would carry both Duvall and Hamilton just for the mere fact that, that you can't use Hechevarria uh, without, you know, feeling like things are completely in hand. Yeah. And I know this has to be disappointing, obviously for Ender Inciarte, you know, how upset he was when he hurt the hamstring because he knew it was going to be something that was going to, be a lengthy time away from the field. He's doing everything he can to get back. But as you talk about, or as we talked about Billy Hamilton, and as you brought up the fact that, you know, an Adam Duvall is there, which is a pinch hitting option with power. Of course, you have one of those with Austin Riley. Neither of those two guys are really known as pinch hit extraordinaires, if you will. But you have to have it, I think, in terms of having somebody that can come off the bench and you know, get into one for you, maybe get you back into a game. So I'm I'm interested to see. I just I don't see any way possible that there's a roster that includes Hamilton and Enciarte. Do you? No, and, I mean I think they're a little bit redundant, and you exactly. could almost say that that Duvall and Riley are a little bit. Redundant I was going to ask too, that but, too. Yeah, you know, but I, I sort of feel like I, I hate going back to this, but I, I sometimes I feel like Brian Snicker manages this way that you hold on to a guy just in case things happen, right? Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's that would lead them to have Duvall because if, if Freddie leaves the game, if you've got Riley, you can throw in at first base. If, you know, you've got, again, you've got the other three infield spots that Hetchevaria can get to all those, but you, I, I think in Riley, you have somebody who's starting to heat up, but we know how good Duvall has been against lefties. Yeah. And, I, and I, obviously this Cardinals team is righty heavy in that rotation, uh, with Dakota Hudson and, and Jack Flaherty, who's been absolutely unbelievable. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I, I think it would be it, – it's a very interesting conversation if NCRT is not there. And just, to me, it forces you to carry one more outfield option than you would normally be comfortable with. I think that's a really good point, and the Braves will have a lot of interesting decisions to make as they put together their 25. Corey McCartney of Fox Sports South, I appreciate you putting together your 25 and talking about my 25 and maybe we ended up with 27 by the time it was all said and done but (laughs) we still got some questions to answer in a little bit of time for the Braves to figure that out as well go ahead and let people know where they can find you and plug the Chopcast as well I can't tell people enough if they haven't subscribed already make sure you're doing that great Braves discussion coming at you with Corey and Zach over there yeah I appreciate that Uh, yeah you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Corey J McCartney I'm all of our stuff on at Fox Sports Braves 
on Twitter, on Chopcast. You can find that uh, on Facebook, uh, the Fox Sports South Facebook page. So, yeah, I appreciate it, Grant. Uh, always, always great talking to you. All right, look forward to seeing you out at the ballpark real soon. All right, man, thanks. My thanks again to Corey McCartney for joining me here on this episode of From the Diamond. The Braves are National League East champions again, and now they set their focus on October baseball, which will be here before we know it, with only seven games left in the regular season beginning play on Saturday night against the San Francisco Giants. As far as what the Braves will be doing this coming week, a quick two-game trip up to Kansas City, and then three games against the New York Mets to round out the regular season, and the Braves await the winner of the National League Central for the Division Series, and we'll be talking an awful lot about that on the next episode of From the Diamond. Once again, I invite you to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can find From the Diamond there. Also appreciate all the ratings and reviews, the likes and the shares that you guys have been doing. That is always appreciated. And across social media, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And I am still at Grant McCauley there. And make sure you check out FromTheDiamond.com. You can find every episode of the show and much more there. That'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. Once again, the Braves are NL East champions, and October awaits the team from Atlanta as they look to take care of some unfinished business and make a deep run through October. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about it, and I invite you to tune in next time to From the Diamond. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.